Something New is supported by listeners like you. Visit joelbnew.com and help this podcast continue to grow, thrive, and be a part of the creative conversation. Are you working on something new? This is Joel B. New, and you're listening to Something New, my chance to talk with some of the savviest theater artists in the industry, hear their stories, play through and premiere a brand new original song, and get to the heart of what makes them the working, multifaceted artists they have come to be. Today's guest artist is an actor, singer, musician, composer, and award-winning filmmaker. He made his Broadway debut in the musical The Drowsy Chaperone. He has appeared in the off-Broadway productions of Old Jews Telling Jokes and Toxic Audio Loudmouth. Regionally, in Getting the Band Back Together, Meet Me in St. Louis, a live radio play, and It's a Wonderful Life, a live radio play at Bucks County Playhouse. The producers at Gateway Playhouse and Happy Days, a new musical at Goodspeed Opera House, and as Benny South Street in the re- regional tour of Guys and Dolls. On television, uh, he has a guest starred on 30 Rock, The Blacklist, Nurse Jackie, Hostages, Tin Man, and The Carrie Diaries. He also co-hosts the Playball podcast, the only podcast I can think of that combines a love of theater with a love of sports. Obviously, I'm talking about my friend Garth Kravitz. Garth Kravitz. Joel, hi. How's it going? It's good. It's good. Good. Thanks for being on my show today. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I'm I'm so happy to have you. Um, So just to get this out of the way. Yeah. I'm a huge 30 Rock fan. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And I was was watching the, uh, your sizzle reel or whatever. Yes. Is that... Sure, sure. My real. Your real. It's sizzle. Sizzle is. We can add that. Out, yeah, right? it's, it's sizzled to me. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I totally, obviously, remember that scene. Um, so before we get to real stuff, what was all that like? You know, it's very. You know, that's a show. I think I was in the last season, so it was the eighth yeah. season of the show. So by that time, the show really, you know, ran like a well-oiled machine. Yeah. So it wasn't the usual. I mean, I sat around for a very long time before I was brought to set, but once I was on set, it was very, very quick. Um, what I found crazy about it was that having performed and all the things that you just mentioned in theater in front of lots and lots of people, I've never been more nervous in my life than standing between Tina Fey and Alec Baldwin just in the rehearsal where we just ran the lines. I have uh-huh. one line. Yeah. I have one line that's like three words or four words. It was awesome. And which is, thank you. <laughs> but, but it's like, you know, I've, I've done much bigger crowds than that. Yeah. But my legs were shaking. Because really? it's Tina Fey and Alec Baldwin, and I'm not, yeah. I'm not a very starstruck kind of guy, generally. Yeah. But this was like, I didn't want to screw up my one line. <laughs> <laughs> Which I didn't, thankfully. You did not. But no, there was a very um, relaxed set and a lot of fun. And uh, Alec Baldwin wanted to get out of there. I think he had an event to get to. So he was really pushing for us to stop and move on to another day. Which we were all excited to do, because get you know, paid an extra day. Yeah. But they said no, so he was really just, he was all business. And But uh, he's amazing. I mean, Tina Fey is amazing as well, really funny. She's on top of everything. Alec Baldwin just gives you a different take every time. He changes the line, even just the slightest bit. And each one is funnier than the next. I mean, he really is, is masterful the way he does. But it was a great, it was a, a, long, a long but great day. The best part was is when I was sitting in my dressing room for hours on end waiting to go on. Boring, you know, I'm doing a crossword puzzle, I took a nap. Suddenly there's this, like, guy out in the hallway just yelling at somebody. He's on the phone, just yelling, and I thought, security, some security guards just having it out with his girlfriend, or a maintenance crew, or a set guy, maybe. But they're just screaming and yelling, screaming and yelling. And then, ultimately, I walk around the corner, and it was, it was Tracy Morgan. What? <laughs> so, just in the hallway, screaming on his telephone for, like, oh 45 minutes. That's amazing. <laughs> and then, of course, I thoroughly embarrassed myself. 
I'd taken a picture of myself in my costume, like we were yep, supposed yep, to do. Yep, take the one. And then as I was walking back to my dressing room after we finished, and I'd already introduced myself to Tina Fey and said hello and all that. We're walking down the stairs together, and, and I said, well, it was nice to meet you. And then she looked at me, and she said, well, do you, do you want a picture? And I said, no, I got one already. <laughs> and then it wasn't until I got to my dressing room that I realized she, she meant of with, of with her. Wow. <laughs> I like to think that she tells the story. And says, you know, and he didn't even need a picture of me. That's how classy he was. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how, that's how I picture her telling her. Yeah, absolutely. She's probably telling her right now on she some other podcast. She probably is, you know. She probably is. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. I just wanted to get that out of the way. No, please. So thank you for indulging. Um, I also wanted to say that um, I saw that you played Benny South Street. Yeah. Um, not to hoot my own horn, but I did play nicely, nicely in high school. Toot your own fugue for tin horn. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. I set you up for that. <laughs> and um, so... I'm just saying, we could... Uh, we could bring a knock back on the road. We could whip out some guys in uh, I'm happy to do it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great... It's a great role. I mean, it's so similar to Gangster Number 2 from Drowsy. They're, like, uh-huh. the same guy, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just sort of transplant. I'm like, yeah, it's the same. I'll just put this guy in this land yeah. now. That's perfect. But it's such a fun... Those roles are so fun to play because of the kind that... You know, it's not all that heavy lifting. You know, you yeah. big number here, little number here, little number there. But you do get to sort of walk out, and the audience... The audience just loves those characters. Show. Yeah. yeah. The audience is like... And, and the best... The best example of that is uh, a day that it was a matinee of Drowsy. My brother was in the show with me, mm-hmm. and uh, and we walked out on stage sometime later, it, sort of the second half of the show. And someone in the front row went, "Oh, not these guys again!" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Those are the characters I want to play." Yeah, right. Not that guy again. Yeah. Oh, that guy. <laughs> but that's Benny and Nicely. Same that's thing. Amazing, amazing. Um, so let's rewind. Where do you come from? I was born in Jersey, um, and then I uh, moved when I was, I think, about seven years old or so. I moved down to the D.C. area of Maryland, Rockville, Maryland. Mm -hmm. And um, my dad was very involved in community theater here in Jersey, and then when we went to Maryland, sort of found a theater to work in. So we all grew up, my sisters and my brother and I, we all grew up sort of in and around this community theater. Um, And I knew as soon as I got there, that's, you know, what I wanted to do. It was such a great atmosphere and such a fun atmosphere. And And my brother and I actually... Did here's a little, here's a trivia bit for you for yeah. when for when you know Drowsy becomes really big, and it's in Trivia Pursuit. Yeah, we're guessing. Uh, the very first play that we appeared on stage together in, I was eight and he was ten. It was Life with Father, and we wore red wigs. And then years later in Drowsy, we're on stage again in red wigs. Red. And there was a photo of us from Life with Father on the set as children. Really? Yeah. Everyone everyone in the show got to bring something personal for the set, and oh. ours was a picture of us. Uh, as if we had just come off the boat in Ellis Island, because <laughs> you know, we're, we're in the same wigs, basically. Yeah. But yeah, so we, we we grew up down there doing theater and, and dinner theater. I played Oliver several times. Yeah. <laughs> down there, um, and then stayed down in Maryland until I came to New York. Uh, in my, I guess it was my early twenties, I came to New York. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you come here for for college, or did you go that route? No, I you know I was at school for a really short time on theater scholarships, and and I. Over the over my first winter break my freshman year, I got a job in a wedding band as a wedding singer. Okay. And at 18, I was making good money, and I was working on the weekends. And because I had so many wedding gigs, I couldn't do the plays at the school at University of Maryland. Hmm. And my scholarship required that I perform in the plays. So I had to decide whether I wanted to stay in school and perform in the plays or work as a singer, which yeah. I was doing. Spend money or make money. Yeah. What you going to so, do? Um, so I... Gave the scholarships 
back and said I'm going to go this other route and, and went to the wedding band and I did that for you know quite some time. I was the wedding singer. <laughs> wow. Wow. And so then you moved here in your early 20s. My early 20s I moved here to pursue music and theater and you know I did I did a one man show like you do. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? And uh, did a lot of industrials and auditioned like crazy. And, um, and music was sort of happening more than theater was happening. I was doing some theater you know uh, readings and workshops but nothing and I didn't have any representation. I had no major experience. I mean, I did a lot of theater when I was younger, mm-hmm. but mostly I was doing a lot of music. So music was really happening for more more for me in New York than theater was. As a musician, as a singer, singer yeah. um, and I played piano and guitar, but mostly you know accompanying myself, but mostly as a singer. Um, and so I did that. I mean, I was in New York for a bunch of years. You know, again, I, we had a theater company. I started with some friends of mine. We did readings of new plays. We, we gave it a good shake. You know, yeah. Doing uh, doing small theater, but really singing was happening more, and I was getting more work as a singer, um, and that led up to when I, I joined this acapella group, the House Jacks, that were in San Francisco, which took me back out there, okay. which I did for a time, and then we toured around the world, which was great, which brought me back to Drowsy, which brought me back to New York. Wow! So, wow! Whirl, so, whirlwind. I was gonna say whirlwind. <laughs> <laughs> but you touched upon. I'm um, out of breath just saying. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Just... Well, I'll, I'll talk for a bit so you can take a breath. Um, you'd mentioned. Uh, very briefly, uh, like new work and developing new work and being part of workshops right. and whatnot. So, um, so you've been on both sides of the table now as both performer and as a composer of new Correct. work. Um, and I saw that you know you did a production of Getting the Band Back Together, which mm-hmm. was written by my friend Mark Allen. Oh yeah, who uh, we're actually recording today in the Graduate Musical Theater Writing Program at Tisch. Uh, which Mark and I were in the same class together. I thought I smelled something familiar. It was <laughs> Mark Allen. It's Mark Allen in these Very calls. talented guy. Yeah. So, um, and you've written a few musicals yourself. Mm-hmm. And Drowsy Chaperone was basically a new, it was like yeah. a new old musical. Right. Which was lovely. I totally saw it. I got mm-hmm. uh, lottery tickets. Oh, great. Yeah. Like, one and only time to win a lottery. Uh, so, like, what, what attracts you to new work? Or has attracted you to new work? Um... I love the idea of, of creating new stuff. You know, there's nothing wrong with going and doing Guys and Dolls. Because, again, you get to bring a little bit of something new to it. But there's only so much more you can bring to Benny South Street than right, is there. Right. There's not a lot of backstory you can bring. No. I mean, I, I made up a lot. Yeah. But um, none of that made it to stage. But, you know, when you do, when I did Producers, uh, you know, you do what Stroman did. I mean, that's, yeah. that, the people that direct that show and choreograph that show are like, no, no, your left hand is above your waist. Yeah. I'm like, wow, okay. <laughs> There's not a lot of give there. The idea of doing new work where you're, you're really allowed that, that, that blank canvas to sort of create this character, um, you know, with the guidance of a, a great director like Casey Nicola, Bob Martin's script, you know, that, that they gave you great stuff to work with and then allowed you the freedom to sort of play with it and bring, bring your own stuff to it. That that's a really wonderful thing. The other thing I like about it is that you're doing that with a cast of people. You're doing yeah. that in, in a room full of creative people. Um, that's and just exhilarating yeah. to watch these other people sort of see these characters become three dimensional and come to life. And that was the same example with getting the band back together, which had been through, you know, a bunch of readings and a bunch of they'd done workshops and other things too, mm-hmm. but I'd never seen any of them and I never did any of them. So when I got to do the show at George Street. This was a whole new character. I got to bring, you know, whatever I wanted to bring to it. Um, and again, to, to see someone like Mark Allen come in every day with, with new bars of music or a new song, yeah. that's just, I mean, that's just so fun. 
I mean, it's exhausting. Don't get yeah, me wrong. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, Lenny Wolpe is a really you know very talented actor. It was in Drowsy Chaperone, and for some reason, every day he got new lines. Like, now nah, we're gonna change that line. We're gonna change, <laughs> and they were all funny. Like, they were all they all worked. Mm-hmm. But it was like, nope, new line. New line. every day. It was like you'd look in your box and you got in, and there'd be like two pages for me and two pages for that guy, and Lenny would have like seven pages. pages of <laughs> stuff. So I, I like. I think, you know, as much as actors love rehearsing, because we love rehearsing, we love that work and flexing those muscles and doing it, mm-hmm. there's an added layer of that when there's new material every right. day. Yeah. You know, that, that is new to everybody. Yeah. Um, when you guys were, like, uh, in previews for Jurassic Chaperone, for example, were, yeah. you, were, you, were you getting new material and rehearsing new material during the day and, yeah. and still then, doing the old version exactly. of Exactly. So that's, you know, that, ah. that's, that's the really, that's the fun brain teaser when you, you know, learn eight bars of new dance in the afternoon. But do the old eight bars the old... tonight, and we'll implement it the next day. That and that was never ending with Drowsy. That was never ending, especially in Toledo Surprise, the big sort of end of you know quote unquote Act One in the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was eight bars of, of dance that got changed daily. I mean, throughout previews, it got changed and changed and changed. And you know, we opened. I think our. I think one of our. I think April first. I think was our first show, and and uh, and they called us down to the stage at like six thirty, seven o'clock to teach us a new eight bars. Just, just, they, and I think they finally got it. And there was Casey Nicola and Casey Hushin and, and Josh Rose and like, okay, we're going to teach it to you. And they, they brought out the eight bars of the most insane. This was not a very dancey cast. I mean, you know, the great dancers in the show, but yeah. there were other people in the show that were sort of ac- actors who moved well. Yes. Um, and, and they threw down some eight bars of like, what is it? Like, none of us could do it. And I think I cried. I mean, it was just like, we're about to, you know, make my debut and I can't do any of this. And then they turned to us and, and said April Fool's and nice. had a hearty laugh. <laughs> I think I still cried for a while. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so that, that's part of it is that, that on that end of it, on being part of a, a rehearsal of a new show and getting the material every day and being creative that way, I love that. I mean, yeah. I love being a part yeah. of that. Uh, as far as writing and creating new stuff, I mean, that's just magical. I mean, you know, as a composer. Yeah, 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 it's a fun time. Yeah, that's, that's really wonderful. And especially when you get to, if you're, you know, if you're lucky enough to get to a point where other people are performing your material. Yeah. And you hear someone else take a song that you've written and elevate it to a level that you're like, oh, I, I didn't yeah, think Yeah, I wouldn't have done that. that. Yeah, just because, like, organically, you know, you're so, you're so close to it. Right. And they come in and they're like, oh, well, I'll do it like this. And, right. you know, and they'll sing an A and you thought it was going to be a G. And right. You're like, no, I like the A. Let's keep it. Yeah, and then there's a there's a really talented singer, uh, performer, actor. His name is Bryce Reines. Really, really amazing singer. And I've known Bryce for a long time. And and uh, and I gave him this song to sing, and he just he said, "Can I play with a little bit?" I was like, "Yeah." And he tore it. I mean, I had no idea the song. I thought I felt betrayed by the song. <laughs> I didn't know you could do that. Yeah. Um, but I, I really don't ever want to hear it any other way. He he brought it to life. So that that's really wonderful as a creator. Yeah. Of new stuff to see how other people um, take it and own it, uh, and that gave me great appreciation as an actor on the other side of it, knowing that I've done original material and hoping that you know the creators of that material felt as excited. So yeah, that's it's it's wonderful. I love I love that. I saw. Uh, some pr- production photos of getting the band back together. Yeah. Which made me go uh, other, you know, obviously, what a cool show. But also, uh, do you write at the guitar? Because I saw you, like, holding a guitar. I do. I'm playing a bass in the show. I had a great wig in that show. Yeah, I you did. That so oh, bad. that hair. <laughs> I want I, that hair. had me fooled. I was like, I was like It's a right. good wig. Yeah. Um, no, I love that wig. Um, yeah, yeah, I played, ba- I played bass in the show, and I kept trying to tell them, 
you know, they said, well, do you have a bass? Because it was George Street, so it's like, you know, we're trying to save money. And, uh-huh, uh-huh. and so I brought my bass in, but I play a Fender P bass, which is really more, it's a, I like the way it sounds, but it's really more of a jazz bass. I'm like, this is uh-huh. really, A, it's not a rock bass, and B, it's really heavy. Because <laughs> it's <laughs> like, like, they use real wood back then. I'm like, yeah. go buy me some crappy, like, Kramer black hollow body <laughs> bass thing. Um, but I, I write on guitar. I, I, I used to do all my writing on guitar, in fact. <clears throat> I used to write almost exclusively on guitar, and, and then... Um, but when I started writing more musical theater stuff, uh, I much prefer writing on piano. Yeah, right. And I, I kind of find it hard to go back and write on guitar because really? I, I want more. I'm doing something with my fingers that you can't see on your yes. podcast. <laughs> I'm going up and down a keyboard. I want more options. Um, but when I was writing music for the House Jacks, when I was in that group, I, that was all almost all guitar. Huh. Yeah. Talk to me about that, the House Jacks. <clears throat> the House Jacks is an acapella group that's been around for a, a long time now, but they were one of the very first. Uh, big sort of contemporary acapella groups. I mean, now there are thousands. Yeah. Back when the House Jacks started in, in 1991, in San Francisco, there were, I think, 200 college acapella groups, and now there are like 23,000 or something. Like, every college has... Thanks like, to the sing-off. I, I think NYU has, I think, eight or nine groups just here, you know? Wow. Um, because now you have co-ed groups and women's groups and men's groups and, you know, gay groups and African-American groups, and, I mean, it's just everyone, everyone's got an acapella group. Yeah. Um, and they brought me in. They were around for about, I guess, five or six years, and they brought me in to replace somebody. And I'd never heard anything like it. I mean, I'd listened to the Nylons and the Bobs and Rockapella, and I'd yes. heard of those groups. But the, the House Jacks were the first group to have a designated rhythm section, a guy that just did drums and a guy that sounded like a plugged-in funk bass. I mean, he was, he was astounding. Cool. His instrument was, was sort of amazing. And, um, and Deke Sharon, who founded the group and did the arrangements... Really just brilliant. I mean, uh, everything we wrote, I started writing for the group and I started writing acapella songs. I, you know, the tenors do this, the bass does that. He's like, no, 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 go, go write drums, bass, keyboard, horns, go write that stuff. I'll take care of the rest. Okay. And, and he did, which was really sort of masterful. He's gone on now to be the vocal arranger for the sing-off and the Pitch Perfect movies. And he has a show on Lifetime called Pitch Slapped. Where they're working I've with, heard of this. Yeah, he's working with high school groups. So, nice. And he's, he'll be, I think they'll be at Carnegie Hall sometime this month. He's doing a thing there. That's so great. Acapella, he started you know, a long, long time ago at, yeah. um, uh, where are the bubs? At Tufts University. Okay. And uh, really had the dream back then to bring acapella to a place where they were doing Cashmere by Led Zeppelin and things like that. Nice. And he's stayed with it all this time, and it's really paid off for him, which is great. But I got to play with him for about... <clears throat> excuse me, about seven years. Um, Were you singing as well as arranging? I was doing no arranging. That was all for Deke. I was writing. Okay. But uh, I let Deke handle all the, all the heavy lifting when it came to arranging. I would just write and say, here, go. And then I was singing, um, and in his arrangements, because it's all instrumental, there's no breathing. So you're singing a guitar part or a keyboard part. Or, <laughs> and so there's no breathing at all. And we were doing like two-hour acapella shows. I mean, it was really like a vocal Olympics. Wow. Uh, which was great. It was hard at first, but a really great uh, exercise vocally. I learned my lesson because, I mean, singing in wedding bands, I thought, you know, chords of steel. I can sing four or five hours, rock uh-huh. and roll, no problem. But you forget, when you sing with a band, you can, you can, you can breathe for a while while the sax player plays a solo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. have a smoke. <laughs> have a smoke, relax, exactly. The horn section is going to go do something for a little bit. With acapella, there's, you know, Especially with Deke's arrangements, you'd be singing a lead part and then drop down to a background part. Mm-hmm. So my very first show with them was at University of Southern Florida. We were opening for George Carlin. Huge crowd, wow. like 3,000 people. 
And I was, you know, I'm like, all right, it's going to be great. We're going to have a great time. And uh, we were only going to do like 20 minutes of music. And I came out there in the first number. I forget what was the original song from the House Jackson. And I just, I just, I just, we've been rehearsing straight for 10 days to teach, teach me all this stuff. And I just, I threw it down. I just sang as hard as I could and blew myself out. So by the second song, which was my solo, which was Stevie Wonder's I Wish, which, you know, I've sung in the wedding band. I've sung uh-huh, in uh-huh. I, first chorus. Instead of, I wish those days. I went, I wish those days. It was like, and it just became like Rex Harrison, the rest like of the lane stretch. <laughs> it was pretty much going. that. And like 3,000 college students were like, what is this acapella? What is oh happening? It's amazing. Uh, so yes, it took a while. But, but the band was great and we traveled to... Uh, to Europe and Japan and Singapore, I got to go to some really wonderful places. That's and, amazing. And there are still, you know, a lot of fans uh, of the band. The band is still going, and, I, yeah. and there's still a lot of fans for the band, housejacks.com. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a great time. But I, also, it, for me, vocally, it was, uh, it really was like, it was it was like going to the gym and lifting weights. I mean, like, my voice got stronger and stronger, and I stretched it and stretched it. I now have a little over four octaves of range, because I sang bass for some songs. and. Wow. And had to, you know, it's better not to think about what notes you're singing and oh, yeah, just kind yeah. of do it. Yeah. And suddenly I'll scream something and I'm like, what was that? They're like, we're not telling you. Yeah, don't, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. <laughs> but, because, but because of that experience, um, not only did I get to see the world and see some really cool pe- places and meet some really cool people, but vocally it, it was a, a, a great exercise for me vocally. Yeah. You know, now I, I, I hear music differently too. I hear individual parts when I listen to arrangements in, in music much more than I ever did because of that experience. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, because you speak from a very baritone place. I do, you know my my, and I had this voice when I was thirteen too. Yeah, I was like four foot one, which was odd. But uh, no, my my speaking voice is all down here. Yeah, I but... find myself trying to match you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and in the mornings I had this very white sort of very white thing going on. But um, but yeah, no, my my I don't know how it really works. My my speaking voice is down in this baritone, but most of my singing is up in the it's way up there. In the high parts. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, when we were... I'm no Eddie Corbett, but I'm up yeah, there. Yeah, you're, you're, you're up there. <laughs> um, That's when I, when I got to L.A. to do Drowsy, and I said to mm-hmm. Phil Reno, who, music director, who didn't know me at the time, it was just meeting me, and I said, hey, listen, you know, if you need high notes, you know, and he turned to me and he goes, well, we have, we have Eddie Corbett. <laughs> and I didn't know what that meant until we started rehearsing, and I went, oh, oh <laughs> I see. I see. <laughs> Eddie's, an al- Eddie's an alto. Eddie's an alto. cigarette again. Basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, although, um, although I will say this, I mean, interrupt you, but you know, as a, as a singer, especially someone that sings high, you you always want to, you always want to be the guy in that room that's like, I'll, I'll take that note, I'll take that note. Oh yeah. And then Drowsy in the, the one of the final numbers of the show, there's a big high C that Eddie Corbich sang, and I used to be envious of that. I'm like, uh-huh. oh man, I could hit that note. You know, I want to hit that note. Well, Eddie Eddie was out, I think, on his vacation, and uh, another actor took over the role. Uh, Patrick Wetzel, great, great, talented uh, actor and dancer. And Patrick's a baritone. So he said, well, I can't hit the C. So Phil's like, well, Garth will take it. So for a week, I did that note. By, by the third show, I was like, I don't want to hit this note every night. <laughs> this is exhausting. Is, yeah, I don't want to work this hard. <laughs> Who do they think I am, Eddie? Eddie Corbett? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, the work that you write and the work you pursue as an actor, is there any crossover as far as like genre or pieces that you that you gravitate toward like or do they satisfy different itches of you know, it's, interest it's funny because as a as an actor especially because drowsy chaperone was my first broadway show that very quickly casting directors are, are very quick to say oh that's what, that's what he does right yeah with thus betty south street 
Yep. And, oh, come do this workshop and sing Brush Up Your Shakespeare. And I'm like, you know, I do something other than Runyon Land baritone. Yeah. Um, Funny gangster. Yeah, and, and that's... Very quickly, they, they like to put you in that, oh, you're that comic baritone guy. And I'm like, well, actually, I'm, I'm very much... I mean, I can do that, mm-hmm. but I'm more of a rock tenor guy. Like, I should I can go be in Rock of Ages if you want me to be. But they're very quick to say, oh, we, we see you as this thing. So, really, when I write musical theater, I write parts that I want to play for me. I love that. You know? Um, and, and that's, you know, a great, a great opportunity <laughs> to have. Right. So when I wrote M, which is my a musical I wrote based on the Scottish play, um, you know, I wrote that for me to play that part. Mm-hmm. I wrote, I wrote these songs for me to sing. I wrote these, 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 this for me to play that role. When we did the workshops and the readings, you know, you see how quickly this business works. The producers that were helping us with the workshops and the reading and behind it were like, no, you're not, we don't see you playing that, that role. We see you, you can play Banquo, but we don't see, we see these other people. And I'm like, and then I look at, at like Lin-Manuel and I think, what if someone said that to him within the Heights? You know, right. he's not, you know, right. brilliant, not a great, great singer. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no secret about that. He's, yeah. he's a, he's an okay singer, great rapper. Amazing actor. Ma- amazing actor, great writer, writer, you know, but you know, he knows he's not a, a brilliant singer. But someone said, well, you're going to. You know, be in this musical in the Heights that I wrote. I want to play this role. That some producer would have said, eh, "We need somebody other than you." Yeah. Um, so I, I look, I look at in the Heights a lot as an example of, yeah, okay, well, that's you know, to me, I have that same opportunity. I can write a musical that I get, I want to star in. I'm right. Yeah. So, so I, I very rarely um, write stuff that I think I'm castable for, but I write it so that people can see what it is I actually do, huh. in the hopes that maybe they'll say, "Oh, maybe we should." Yeah. <laughs> as, as this kind of character so I, I don't I don't so to answer your question I don't think there's a lot of crossover between the kind of roles I play and what I write um, and I write really almost for that very reason that's really cool yeah. so hopefully one day there will be will be a little closer one together. day yeah one day <laughs> that's right who was, who was I emailing today because I'm Doing a Kickstarter for my Murder She Wrote yes. album, and which um, I have, I have, I have given you money for. Yes, you have. I have. Thank you very, very happy much. to contribute. I'm very, very happy. Habit Cove. I mean, come right. On. Hello. <laughs> and, the, um, and I was, I like, I was sending out like emails, just like begging people to help, and um, and she did. And then I was, I was like, don't you look forward to the day where we don't have to like beg people for money? And I was like, oh wait, that day will never come. Because yeah, well, it doesn't matter. I mean, no, it doesn't. It, you know, if, even if you're doing. Something as successful as Hamilton. At some point, he had to ask somebody. Oh for yeah, money, you know, yeah. Um, asking Shows Eve. Right, and you know, crowdfunding is a, a great thing, and there yeah. are investors out there that that. I mean, you know, Kevin McCollum, be, you know, if nothing else, he he believes in people. Mm-hmm. And when Drowsy happened, I mean, it took him three years to read Drowsy. He sat on his desk for three years, yeah. and when he finally got to it, I mean, he saw that and said, "This is something I want to put my money behind." And that's so rare, I think, with producers these days. Uh, because for new work based on uh, nothing, on nothing, and, yeah. and something that no one's ever heard of before, that 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 doesn't happen very often, mm-hmm. and, and you know because producers and are really are now investors, you know you get twenty people to, that are putting in lots of money, they're looking to people like Kevin McCollum or Bob Boyette or something like that to say, you know, what do you think? Do you believe in this? And yeah. and you know if he's going to put his money in, then I'll do it too. But it's very <laughs> rare when producers, you know, producers are more money raisers now than they are. Money, money not, providers. Right. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, but there are people out there that, that, you know, like your project, as soon as I heard about it, when we, we met, you know, when we were yeah. meeting at, at, for the Folio group, and 
you mentioned it, I'm like, oh, I need to, I need, I need to know more about Cabot Cove, please. <laughs> so as soon as I saw the Kickstarter, and I really made a pact with myself to like stop supporting Kickstarters because I, I can't keep up. I mean, so many of my friends well, are doing so them. there's so many of us, yeah. No, I get but it. But I saw that, and I'm like, no, see, I've, but that's exactly what a producer should do, right? Mm-hmm. That's a project I can get behind. Yeah. I'll put my money in that. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. That's what I've done. So we just need a couple more hundred people like you, <laughs> and we'll have the whole album produced. That's right. <laughs> If you get my emails or are following me on any sort of social media, you are more than aware that I am pushing my Kickstarter campaign to crowdfund my upcoming EP of six songs inspired by the TV series Murder, She Wrote. Since our last episode, so many people have contributed. We are over 20% there uh, with just a few weeks left on the Kickstarter campaign. Uh, It goes all the way through April 6th. Um, so please, 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 if you have not contributed and you, and you and you feel like pledging or you're like, yeah, yeah, I'll get there, um, please, please pledge now and tell your friends to do the same. Um, there will be a bit link in the description of this episode. Anywhere that you see me posting, I'm including that link. You can, uh, you can, you can share it at ease and at your leisure. So many beautiful people have contributed. Almost 40 people have backed this project so far. Um, the ones that I need to thank uh, here and now are Katie, Liz, Grace, Eric, Molly, Shane, Carissa, Lori, Christine, my cousin Debbie, Aunt Dolores, Susan, Ramona, Marion, Eric, Rebe- Aunt Rebecca, Anne, Michael, Gillian, my sister Leah, my cousin Rob, Alan, and Corinne. Thank you all so much for getting this project even closer to becoming a reality. I can't wait to dig in on making this album and then sharing it with you because I think it's going to be a really, really cool thing and I'm excited that people are excited. Thank you for pledging, thank you for listening, and stay tuned. Uh, Shifting gears a little uh, from one podcaster to another... Um, so you co-created and co-host, that's right? right? Uh, this new, this newish podcast, uh, it's called Playball. The Playball Podcast. The Playball Podcast. Yeah. I love it. And you started it about a year ago? Yeah, we started about a year ago. In, um, you and Sean Dougherty. Sean Dougherty, great, great actor. Not a, not a musical guy. No. No, and I How met you know him? I met him because the theater group that I previously mentioned, um, we had written a musical called Barista, which was this extremely prophetic musical about the Starbucksing of New York, which hadn't happened at that time. There were no Starbucks in New York yet. Really? One was coming. I don't know if you, you, you might have been in New York when this was happening. The Sensuous Bean was going to close. Now, the Sensuous Bean was like the hipster coffee shop before there were hipster coffee shops. Bruce Willis drank there. Like every celebrity, Woody Allen got his coffee there. That's the place to go. But this new Starbucks thing was coming in. And the sensuous bean was going to have to close because they couldn't keep up with the you know the competition. Yeah. So we took it upon ourselves to write this musical called Barista, exclamation point. Yeah. Barista. I heard the exclamation. Point. And it was all about this Starbucks. It, was, it took place in the future. Starbucks had taken over. We had made Times Square Disney Times Square. This is years before Disney wow. came to Times Square. Like we just made that up. And. And how coffee was now illegal. It was this whole sort of bizarre, you know, dystopian future thing. 
Sure enough, now Starbucks is everywhere. Disney's in Times Square. I don't know how we how yeah. we made this happen. What else happened in the musical? Should be like prepared <laughs> for. I should make a list of Nosferatu. Um, but we did it. We did it with our theater company for. I guess we did it for like three or four performances at the old Here Space. Oh, and and they we won. We won this sort of play competition, and we got to do a two week run of the show at Here. That's outstanding. It was great. It was so exciting. Cause it was our first venture in, into writing a show, and I wrote all the music for the show. All the lyrics for the show were, were taken from star, the Starbucks owner's manual, like employee handbook that we stole. Because yeah. they, they keep that thing under lock and key. Mm. But so we stole it <laughs> and, um, and wrote all the, I wrote all the music to those lyrics. There's one that I'll never forget called The Seven Pillars of Coffee Brewing. That's a big thing at Starbucks, The Seven Pillars of Coffee really? Brewing. Oh, yes. And how to brew coffee properly. So, um, so we did that, and that was, that was quite fun. So when we, did, when we got to hear... The guy that was playing our lead, a really talented actor named Patrick Bowl, he's on Broadway all the time, very, very tall man, um, he couldn't do the run at here. And we were sort of desperate, and I called a friend of mine, a guy that I knew, and I said, hey, are you available? You know, it's not a lot of singing, but it's some singing, but, I, you know, and he's like, you know, I'm not, I'm doing this thing, but um, my roommate, you met my roommate when, when you helped me move in, this guy I'm living with, really nice guy, you should meet him. I was like, we're desperate, fine. So he came up to my apartment on the Upper West Side, and I'm like, I'm Garth, I'm Sean, nice to meet you. He sat down, and we started, he's not a singer, but we plunked through it, and he sang a couple of bars, it was going to be all right. And then I said to him, it was a Saturday afternoon, and I said, listen, do you mind if we take a quick break so I can check the Yankee score? And he's like, I was just about, this is before we had it on our phones. Yeah. So you have to turn the television on. And he's like, uh, I was panicking because it's a huge game and can we turn it on I was like you're a Yankee fan and the next thing you know we stopped auditioning and we spent an hour talking about the 1977 Yankees 78 Yankees we started talking about who his favorite Yankee was and my favorite Yankee was and an hour goes by and he goes wait am I sorry am I in the musical I'm like oh yeah yeah you're in the, you're in the musical but uh, our, our friendship began then um, born from sports that's amazing and so Sean and I would talk you know we're both busy and we're both uh, you know I was on the west coast for a while but we would we would get on the phone every couple of months to catch up, and we would spend two, three hours on the phone talking about sports, the way that you know they do on the radio, or the way that lots of people do in yeah. the world. And we used to joke about making a radio show because uh, that's what we do. You know, we, uh, you know, the thing is, Sean is really a sort of a sports encyclopedia kind of guy. Like he can tell you chapter and verse and numbers, and that guy wore number eight, the guy wears number thirteen because this other guy retired. I mean, he knows all the stats. And I'm just a smart ass that likes sports, so <laughs> the two of us could go back and forth for a good amount of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I really was last, uh, a two, I guess it was two, two Christmases ago, I was doing a show at Bucks County, one of the radio plays I was doing, mm-hmm. uh, with an actor named Jeff Packard, who's over at Matilda, very funny guy, and uh, he and I were talking about the, the New York Giants and how bad their offensive line is and how they're really crappy, and Phil Reno, gay, music director in his 50s, chimes in from behind us about how the Giants needed, you know, better tight ends and their running game was horrible. And I turned around, I'm like, and I've known Phil for years, I'm like, Phil, you like sports? And he was like, yeah, I'm more of a college guy, but yeah, I like the NFL. I'm like, what? And so I called Sean immediately and I was like, we, we need to do a podcast that deals with, because in every show across this great land of ours, there's theater happening. And in every show, there are sports fans. Whether it could be the costume lady, it could be the props guy, it could be the lead in your show, the dance captain, the choreographer, the, you know, the director, whoever, yeah. the music director, and they like sports. And, and 
people are, you know, there's a giant game happening or a Yankee game happening or a hockey game happening and who do you talk to? But then you start finding like this pocket of other sports fans, like cl- closeted sports fans in your show. Does it feel taboo? In it a feels way? very taboo. No one, you know, no one <laughs> talks about it. And, uh, and so you end up, you know, sort of latching onto those people and, and uh, you, 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 you know, you get to share, share a common, you know, a common ground with them. We did get in the band back together. You know, that was pretty much all guys. So yeah. most of those guys were sports fans. Not all of them, most of them. So we would go finish rehearsal. We'd run to the bar to see who was winning the, you know, the March Madness or whatever it might wow. be at that time. So the podcast really came about because, you know, when Phil said this to me, I thought, you know, we, we need to be able to have actors who love sports have a place where they can talk about sports and, and hear about sports. And so that's, what, that's where the Playball podcast uh, came from. And Sean and I did yeah. it for a long time, just he and I in my studio. Yeah, but, but we're incorporating guests. <clears throat> now we're starting to incorporate guests, and what we're doing is we're getting into Broadway shows. We just did Matilda a couple weeks ago and hung out with some guys from Matilda. Yeah, was the, was the celebration episode? Or no, uh, yes it was, it was a celebration yeah, episode, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then we're about to go over to um, School of Rock, which is going to be really fun because my friend Mamie Paris is over there, and she's okay. like... The, the nicest, sweetest person ever until you start talking about the Kansas City Chiefs and then she is a rabid beast. And so, uh, so it's going to be fun to get into School of Rock and, and hang out and talk to her and some other people from the show. That's really cool. Yeah. And you go and record at the theater? Yeah, I go into the theater and I record with them and then, and then um, Sean and I have, you know, the, we sort of sandwich our podcast uh, yeah, with yeah, them yeah. in there. So yeah. It's it's a really lot cool. Of, yeah. yeah I- I've listened. All right. Listened, yeah. Awesome. Um, and it's really, that's, even if you're not a sports fan. I was going to ask you about that. Like, yeah. can, because, you know, I, I enjoy going to baseball games. But, sure. like, I have nothing, I have no dogs in the fight or anything like that. Like, so can people who don't know sports enjoy play ball? I think so, because, you know, when Sean and I first started doing it, it really was more of a, a sports cast the same way you'd see on ESPN or here on the radio, mm-hmm. where we would talk about whatever the top stories were in sports and how great this player is or how bad that player is or this coach or that coach. But we suddenly realized that you can get that anywhere. You know, you can get that mm-hmm. on the radio or on ESPN or Fox has a sports network now. I mean, you can get it anywhere. What's different about our show? So we came up with the idea of we pick one topic, like the one you were mentioning with Matilda. We talked about celebrations. You know, uh, there was a big deal about Cam Newton in the Super Bowl and his demonstrative celebrations and whether they were appropriate for the game or not. Right. And, um, and so we take that topic and sort of expand it out to every sport and maybe other parts of life, too. <laughs> Even if you're not sports savvy, um, I think you'll still get something out of the, the conversation because, you know, we're, we're, we talk about concussions in football. We talk about racism in sports. We talk about, uh, you know, like what I just said about, you know, whether celebrating in, in baseball is taboo. or So I think even if you're not a, a sports nut or have a lot of general knowledge about uh, particular teams, I think you'll still get something from the conversation. Or, or maybe not, but you know what? <laughs> Give it a try. Yeah. Because also you might say, I love that cast from School of Rock, and I'd love to hear what they have to say. I was about to say, yeah. I was going to, you know, yeah. transversely, like, can people who don't know theater but know sports enjoy play ball? Absolutely. And I yeah. think the people that don't know theater will be surprised to hear the kind of people we have on our podcast yeah. talk about sports. You know, we'll, we'll get over to... Um, Something's Rotten, a Book of Mormon. I've got lots of friends around in, in the, the PR departments. I've been very happy to have us come in. But, you know, for instance, the, one of the stage managers on Drowsy Chaperone is, the, is the, one of the stage managers at Mormon. And she's a huge NASCAR fan. Like, yeah. like massive NASCAR fan. 
and people would be very surprised to you know get Rachel on on the air and hear what she has to say about Tony Stewart. I mean, it's you know, so I think even if you're not <laughs> a theater person, it's still sort yeah. of fun to listen to what people have to say. No one else is doing it. I no, I, I don't think so. And no. I don't think anybody is. And, and you know, for us too, we're, we'll get out this year during the uh, the, uh, the the show league softball tournament. I was about to ask you, are you guys part of the? We're, we're going to try to be this year. Last year, we had just started when they were starting up. So this year, we we sort of already got our our ins there. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll go down to the field and we'll we'll grab some grab some people off the field and while talk they're to them playing about, and yeah, stuff. That's not? awesome. You know, that is awesome. See what Matthew Broderick has to say about the Knicks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you play any sports? You know, I grew up playing baseball. Um, okay. I'm a good baseball player. I played in the show league a couple of years. I played in the show league with Drowsy, <coughs> and then I played in the show league again a couple years ago. But um, but you know, I, there are two there are two sections of the show league. There's like the really competitive show league and there's like the not so competitive show league and softball to me is always should just be a relaxing fun time like don't don't spill my beer sort of how we should be playing that game um and this was a little too this was a little bit too intense for me on a on a a, you know on a thursday at 11 o'clock in the morning i'm like don't don't yell at me for not getting down on that ground ball (laughs) you know i will say that i did see a dancer from legally blonde Make a wide turnaround third base, and the third base coach held her up to not have her run home, and she ended up in a split. Which I thought, you know, you don't ever see that anywhere. No, not in no. Ma- not in major leagues. No, only there. Um, but no, I grew up playing baseball, and and I like playing basketball. But I'm, you know, I'm vertically challenged. So uh, as long as I'm playing with junior high school kids, I think I'm, I think I'll be all right. What's one of your favorite works of theater, and what's your favorite sport? Uh, favorite works of theater, and I haven't seen Hamilton yet, so I can't speak to that. Um, I've heard it's terrible. You know, I got you know I've seen a lot of theater. I really loved one, something that in the in the in the most recent time has really moved me because I saw it twice. Was Stephen Adley Gerges's play uh, Between Riverside and Crazy? Uh, it was powerful and it was beautifully done and and really kind of tremendously acted. And um, I had to go back and see it again when tickets became available again. Um, but that that's a play that really stuck with me recently that I, I really, really enjoyed. Um, and, you know, I have to say, I went, when I saw the Deaf West Spring Awakening, I never saw the original Ooh, I saw on both. stage. Yeah. And it was, you know, it's, it's really fun to see. It's like when I, I saw Les Mis only recently, when I went on tour a couple years back, I guess like three years ago. Yeah. <clears throat> I saw it at Paper Mill. And I never saw it on Broadway. So for me to be in a theater and, and hear these songs sung in the context of the show, with the orchestrations live for the first time, that that really stuck with me. Like, that was very, very powerful. Yeah. I felt the, sort of the same about Spring Awakening. I was like, you know, mm-hmm. I had never seen it. I'd never, I'd heard the music, but never seen yeah. it that way. So that, that stuck with me as well. Do you have a favorite sport? Well, I love baseball. I mean, the problem is, is that, you know, <clears throat> I, I grew up a New York fan. My dad was from Brooklyn, so I, and I grew up a Yankee fan and a Giant fan. You know, the, the rule of thumb is that if you're, you're Yankees, Giants, Knicks, and Rangers. That's sort of it. You can't be like Mets, Giants. That's just wrong. Oh, okay. I have friends that do that. That's just that's just messed up. You we don't talk to them. No, no we don't talk to them. No. Um, so I really I, I do love all of the all of those sports. As much as I love baseball, the Yankees are exhausting me right now. As much as I love basketball, the Knicks just break my heart. And I have ever since 1973. <laughs> <laughs> and the Giants, I just can't even right now. But but I will tell you this: when I was in Austria. We got to a hotel, this was the house jacks, and we got to a hotel, and there was what looked like a putt-putt, like mini-golf kind of course. And everyone yeah. likes mini-golf. Yeah. 
But it was, I looked at it, and I'm like, this is the weirdest mini golf because there was no, like, there were no hazards. There was no, like, curvy things. There was no windmills. There was no bumps. It was just all sort of straight. Like, a couple of little angly things, like uh-huh, you have to uh-huh. rebound off a thing. And I turned, our, our sound guy was German, and I turned to him, and I said, Jan, this is, this is either the easiest mini golf, but what is this? And he said, oh, no, this is very serious. This is a very serious sport in Austria. I was like, Really? He goes, oh, yeah, it's very, people have teams. I'm like, I thought he was kidding. We get up the next morning to take off to go to wherever we're going to whatever gig. And there were people out there, and they're, like, unzipping their golf club bag. And it's mini golf. But they have, and they have competitive, like, competitive mini golf. Competitive putt-putt. But what is it called, like, in German or Austrian? Like, what something is that? really Austrian. Yeah. I don't know. Shame. I don't know. It's not called <laughs> something. I don't know. Shame, shame. Shame, shame. But I'm like, that's, I could play that sport. Like, that's an awesome sport. You don't have to be in shape. <laughs> so, you, so you like it because you think you'd be good at it. I'd be great at it. First of all, I'm mini golf, I'm great at. Yeah? Period. That's not even... That is be, a skill. I mean, it's just I feel like there's a lot of luck there's involved. A, there is, but it's really... It's more about... It's more about you have to visualize a lot. <laughs> like, <laughs> No, that sounds sucks. like a sport. Is that everybody, Visualization. Yeah, every male, I don't care who you are, every male in his, you know, in his 30s, 40s, whatever, because he plays mini golf, takes it so, you know, they say they're not taking it seriously. They take it yeah. so seriously. <laughs> and then what kills me is that you take it so seriously and there's some like seven-year-old behind you that's just like, dude, 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 hole in one. And they're like, yeah. yay. <laughs> they don't even appreciate it. No. They don't even appreciate how hard that was. It's <laughs> I had to try three or four times. <laughs> And that one hole yeah. before I even got close. But no, so I think I think that um, Austrian competitive mini golf would be my That's my favorite. I was going to ask you. Now this question's not going to make any sense. But I was going to ask you a follow up question of: Do you find any parallels between your favorite sport and <laughs> your favorite type of theater? I, you know, I, I, this is what I'll tell you about <laughs> just a parallel sort of sports and theater, um, especially a sport like like uh, like baseball or even competitive mini golf for that matter. I really love, I've been very fortunate that the shows that I've gotten to do, whether it's Guys and Dolls, Getting the Band Back Together, Drowsy Chaperone, these are really ensemble shows in nature. They're teams yeah. in nature. And, and then every team, whether it's a, a sport team or a Broadway you know, show, um, you know, has role players. You know, baseball teams have the closing pitcher and they have the cleanup hitter and they have the leadoff guy. And, the, the, and they all have a responsibility that... Uh, is important to the team as a whole, giving you a product. And I think Broadway works the same way. At least the shows I've been fortunate to be in. You know, there's you know, there's your your straight guy, your comedy guy, your tap dancing guy, your you know, amazing ensemble dancers, your your uh, ingenues, your character guys. You know, everybody has an integral plays an integral part in <coughs> you know creating the product that you get to put on stage every day. And much like most sports, you know, without any one of those little moving parts, it's just, it's not as satisfying and it's not as successful. So, you know, not every show works that way, mm-hmm. you know, but, but I, the shows that I, that I love the most, my theater experience that I've had the most fun in are the ones that are the most team based ensemble in, in nature. So I guess there's a, there's a parallel there. That's beautiful. I'm finding more and more people coming to me going, oh, well, do you know so-and-so in that show? He's a huge sports fan or she's that. a huge sports fan or, you know, so that, that's really sort of fun for me. So yeah, I think coming up in the, in this, really this year, um, look forward to seeing a lot of really fun and sort of some surprising guests too. People that you might not have known were, 
we're sports people uh, popping up and, and talking really passionately about I love it. <laughs> about sports. And then, um, like I said, you know, keep keep your eyes on the uh, on the show league. We should be out there with our little play ball play ball podcast microphone. Uh, Laura Haywood will be there with us. Probably awesome. going to NYC. She she's uh, one of our producers, and she. Um, She's she's made it very clear that when it comes time to be there, she she'd like to be there to to talk to those people on the field. So I'm sure I'm you can sure. look forward to Broadway Girl NYC being uh, our our on the spot reporter for uh, the show league. Do you think you'll ever interview um, an athlete about theater? Absolutely, that's something we're really working on trying to get right now. Cool. Is to find out because I know, for instance, I know that Carmelo Anthony of the New York Knicks loves to come to Broadway shows. Yeah. Bernie Williams from the Yankees just loves the Broadway. So, uh, yeah, we know that there are a lot of sports figures, especially New York sports figures, that love to come to New York theater. And there's, there's all, they're always spotted. So we're trying to figure out the best way in. We've got a couple of leads already to, uh, to find some sports figures so we can sit down with them and talk to them about, uh, about Broadway. There's mm-hmm. a guy in the New York Rangers that we're talking to. They're a little busy right now, yeah. but a guy that we know on the New York Rangers hockey team that um, is actually a big supporter of Broadway. A and hockey player? A hockey player. That makes me very yeah. happy. A young guy, too. And as soon as... Uh, as, soon as uh, you know, I mean, in my hopes, they're going to go to the playoffs and win the cup this year. As soon as that's done, right. then um, then maybe we'll get to sit down with him and talk about some some theater with him too. But yeah, we very much look forward to that that other side of it, that crossover part. Of it. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited. Yeah. Well, now comes the time where we're going to set up the song. Yeah, great. Uh, let's see. So Garth was kind enough to learn, and we're going to perform in a few minutes uh, a, new, a brand new song called "The Night Cafe" by you, by me. Yeah. Uh, it was and accompanied by my friend Josh Kite, who's sitting over there waving. Josh Kite, fifty-four below. April what? Thirtieth. April thirtieth. Is the show called Banana Hands, or is that just it a whole? Be called. <laughs> it is now. <laughs> if I were accompanying, it would be called Banana Hands. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so we're gonna perform a little ditty called "The Night Cafe," uh, which you know I'm in between projects right now, and you know things are moving along in good directions for my projects. But, like, nothing really needed a new song. I was like, well, I'm not going to, like, you know, bombshell this and, like, write another Marilyn ballad because <clears throat> we don't need them. So, um, so I don't know. I've always been a big uh, Van Gogh uh, fan of his art. and um, Vincent Van Gogh? Vincent. Not Josh Van Gogh. Not, not Josh Different. Van Gogh. Okay. That's no. <laughs> yeah. Because that you. guy. Thank Oof. you. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Good save. So, Vincent Panko, and I was looking through his paintings and just kind of seeing what kind of struck me. And there's one called The Night Cafe. And um, so that's what this song is inspired by. Great. So, yeah, I just kind of wrote something and, like, you know, did some light YouTube stalking on you. And. We'll see what we'll do. We'll, we'll see, see what comes so out. I, that's what I, I, I asked Joel when I walked in. I said, did you did you write the key of this song before or after you heard me sing online? <laughs> and after. It was after, for the record. You're like, so. oh, you can sing that, huh? We'll see. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> <laughs> Be careful what you wish for, people. Mm-hmm. That high C. Mm-hmm. And Eddie Corbett every day. Yeah, you say it. And that's then- right. You know, put it out there. <laughs> Remember, uh, this song is going to be available to stream on SoundCloud and brand new this season on YouTube as well. Uh, be sure to follow me and also all things social media, and you may find those links and so much more on joelbenew.com. Please follow my guest. Uh, he's garthkravitz.com. He's at garthkravitz. Garth Kravitz. Um, please subscribe to his podcast, The Playball Podcast. Yeah. Why can't I say that? Playball Podcast. Playball. I've pra- practiced. Playball Podcast. There you go. <laughs> Cool. And, um, and we're both uh, part of this media collective called Folio Group. Yeah, the Folio Group. So uh, go check us out as well at folio group.net. 
Uh, subscribe to rate review this podcast. Tell all your friends all about it. Uh, special thanks today to NYU for uh, hosting us today. Uh, Josh Kite for accompanying us. Uh, Steph- Mark, Mark Allen for the Mark Allen aroma for for you know for for writing so well. Um, let's start like thanking random people. Let's just start thanking. <laughs> let's Jessica thank Tandy. My... Remember her. <laughs> thank thank you, Jessica. Lily Tomlin. Oh God, love her. What a gem. <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie Layton, uh, Peyton Broyle, Joel Dickinson, uh, the Murder We Spoke podcast. Where can people donate to your Kickstarter? Where can they find that? They can go anywhere I am. Like every five minutes, like I can all your social media. All my social media. There right. is a bit link there. If you, if you love Murder, She Wrote, if you hated Murder, She Wrote, if you've never heard of Murder, She Wrote, I don't even want, want to talk to you, but if you <laughs> loved it or hated it, uh, you must, you must, you must uh, help Joel make this album because it's an album that, that needs to be made. Thank you very and much. Cabot Cove needs to be, the, the voice needs to be heard. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that very, very of much. Of course. Um, the, uh, the Kickstarter goes through uh, April 6th, so we've got about 18 days from the, when we recorded this. How close are you to your, to your goal? about 20% there. That's good. Yeah. That's good. So we got about another two plus weeks. Dig deep, people. To push through. And last but not least, um, Garth Kravitz, thank you so much for being on Oh, my, my pleasure, man. We're going to chat and get yeah. to know you better. I know, this You're is a very great. cool dude. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, from NYU at Tisch School of the Arts, this is Joel B. New. Garth Kravitz. Saying thank you for dropping by for something new.
my prayers. My head spins like a top. When will the band leader stop this game of musical chairs? Don't ask me what my name is and force me to give you a fresh sobriquet. Just take me down, 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 down to the night cafe. Officer, just take me down, 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 down to the night cafe. Yeah.